All right. How are we doing tonight? We're awesome. Good? You're awesome? No. I feel very tired. like that, uh, I think we're literally almost mid, or close to it. I don't know if fall break was that, like mid-semester. Um, it's like the, the the Wednesday of the semester. That's what it feels like. It feels like. It was. You can write that down. Tweet me later. Wednesday of the semester. Um, Alright, so uh, I don't know that Maybe the, um, those three songs were helpful to you. I sat in the back and was thinking, yeah, I really need to stop and sing tonight. Um, it's something that's unique that happens when you actually put voice to stuff that you don't know what's going on in here. I don't know if that's ever happened for y'all before, but you just start singing and you're like, I'm feeling something that they didn't know how to express. Um, maybe I'm talking another language right now to some of you, but I felt like that was happening back there. So I just want to say, like, I'm super thankful to all of you who, who get up here and lead us in worship and um, just thankful that we have music to sing and to play. And just so you don't and so, you know, um, they put in a lot of hours, and a lot of work in. And so very thankful for their time. So thank you, Isaac and Riley tonight. Um, um, so thank you for that. Um, you can go ahead and turn. We're in Exodus 19 tonight. I'm going to push the stage so I don't turn my ankle and Garrison and I are both complaining. Exodus thir- uh, 19. Um, some of you maybe have uh, teachers like this, uh, a teacher that maybe gives an assignment. I hated this. So a teacher that would give an assignment but w- really wouldn't describe what they wanted in the assignment. Oh you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You're like, you're asking questions and, and they're like, you know, just, you know. Like, no, I don't. That's why I'm asking the question. And they're not explaining what's going on, right? So you have teachers like that, or I used to have coaches like that where I come um, to them and I'm asking like, hey, so I noticed you weren't happy with what happened. Like, can you help me understand what I did wrong? And it was just like, you know, you just need to play better. Okay, that's not helpful. I need to know like what I did. And they would just kind of mumble over some things. They would never give anything that's helpful. Um, In both of those situations, it, it was like, if I can just know what I'm supposed to do, I feel like that would be helpful. And, and not only know what I'm supposed to do, but hey, when I'm doing the assignment, maybe this has happened to you too, like they give an assignment and then two weeks later they're like, actually, I'm going to change some portions of the assignment. And you're like, wait, 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 wait. I've already started. What are you going to change? So you might be thinking, what in the world does this have to do? So tonight in Exodus 19... We are going to talk about a major transition point in the book of Exodus. All the way up until this point in time in chapter 19, we have been on a long narrative story. 
And tonight is a turning point from that story. We're going to talk about what that turning point is. And what I meant by giving that example was tonight we are going to get clear, upfront acknowledgement for what the Israelites were supposed to do when they served God. Very clear. God was not confusing about it. He wasn't like the teachers I just described. Not like the coaches. He was very clear about what he expected. Very clear about what he was asking them to do. And I want you to remember that this, this chapter in Exodus will show this to be true. But the book of Exodus is not just about the rescue or the deliverance of, of the Israelites out of Egypt. Because here's the thing. If God had just said, I'm going to save you, bring you out of Egypt, and then leave you. That would have felt maybe a little empty, maybe a little happy. But you'd kind of be left thinking, wait, wait, wait. I feel like we're missing something. So what we're going to talk about tonight is that God didn't do that. And actually, he told Pharaoh over and over and over again, What did he want his people to leave Egypt to be able to do? Do you all remember what he said over and over? I want my people to... Anyone know? Say it. Serve me. I want you to let my people go so that they may serve me. That was his goal. His goal wasn't just to free the people from Egypt, but that they would be freed from Egypt and then taught how to serve him. And what I'm hoping tonight is, one, you don't walk away going, oh, great, we're about to get a list of rules. Because if you feel like that tonight and the next three times we talk about Exodus, you're going to miss it. Because he is about to give the Ten Commandments. It's going to come in chapter 20. But what I want to set up for that tonight is why is that a good thing for us? What is he doing here in Exodus 19 that leads in to Exodus 20? So Exodus 19, we're only going to read verses uh, 1 through 6. So starting at Exodus 19, starting in verse 1, says, On the third moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai. And they encamped in the wilderness, there Israel encamped before the mountain. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, the people of Israel, You yourselves, this is God speaking, have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and and how I bore you on wings on eagle's wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Now, like I already said, this is a turning point. God is now about to give his terms or his expectations for how to serve him. You see, he's not going to do what the teachers that we don't enjoy do, which is like, 
hey, I'm going to maybe give you an assignment but not tell you how to complete it. And then at the end, ask for it and you're going to be disappointed because you did the wrong thing. Our, our issue is actually going to be different. It's actually going to be that he is very clear up front about what the expectation is. Our issue is going to be that we can't complete the expectation. So I want you to remember that all through the plagues, like we said, God was telling Pharaoh that he wanted his people to go so that they could serve him. What did God rescue the Israelites for? This is important because it reflects why you have been rescued in Jesus. The Israelites were rescued for God's glory. You and Jesus have been rescued for God's glory. You have not been rescued for your own glory. You have not been rescued for your own freedom. But you've been rescued for his glory. So the Israelites, as they're coming out, what you need to remember is they spent 400 years in Egypt. That's enough time for people to lose their customs, lose who they are, and become like another people group. These Israelites did not know what it meant to serve God. They didn't know any of the culture, the customs. God was literally having to reorganize them as a people. They didn't know how to serve God. They had only seen Egyptian service to gods. And what God is trying to say is, this is the way I want to be served. This is the way that I want you to worship me. I know you have thoughts and remembrances of past Egypt. That's not how I want to be worshipped. This is how and why you have been rescued, is to serve and worship me. So these people must be taught how to serve this living God that has rescued them. Because all they know and all their parents know and all their grandparents knew was serving Pharaoh and slavery in Egypt. The Lord is not unclear with them about what he expects. He is also not a master who returns the favor once they've obeyed long enough, which we're going to see here in a second. God is setting the terms for their relationship. And from this chapter in Exodus through the end of the book, he is setting the terms for how this relationship is going to work. This is what I'm expecting. These are the terms. And what we get is a long, that we're going to walk through, a long understanding of what that means for relationship. Coming all the way to the point where God's spirit literally comes down and finally dwells with his people once he has explained this whole thing to them. So let's look at verses three through six. The Lord has moved first, has loved first, and has saved first. Three through six in chapter 19. It says, while Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, listen, this is important. Thus says, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles wings and brought you to myself. You see, the order of Exodus is important here. 
All the way back in Exodus 1, you know what God could have done? He could have said, here's the terms for how I want you to serve me. And as long as you do that perfectly, I will rescue you. But he didn't do that. Because where would the Israelites be right now if he did? They'd still be in Egypt. So what I want you to see is the order of how this happens is important. God delivers his people from bondage, bondage, just like he's delivered you and me, right? He didn't look at you and say, Joel, I need you to be perfect and then I'll love you. Joel has the perfection of Jesus. So he actually looks at Joel and says, no, actually, Jesus has been perfect for you. And I love you in spite of your inability to be perfect because I look at Jesus and I look at you. And the order of Exodus is the same thing here. God delivers his people first. It's not conditional. God doesn't say, do these things and then I will save you. God just saves his people. He carries them through the Red Sea. He still hasn't given a condition to his people. He carries them through the Red Sea. He plunders his, uh, their enemies into the sea. They still haven't done anything for him. So he has just rescued them from slavery, and he has just destroyed their enemies. And then after that, he provides for their needs, which we've been talking about the last couple weeks. He gives bitter water to sweet water. He puts bread on the ground so that they can eat. He puts quail in the air so that they can eat. He puts rock on the ground that is smashed and a river comes out of it so their people could drink. And there's still no condition yet. And it's not until after he's done all of those things that he then says, because this, I now ask you to serve me. Because of what I've done, serve me. Not serve me and then I will do these things. We serve out of a place watching a God that has stepped in, has provided, protected, and given us what we needed. And because he's done all that, our response is, absolutely, I'll serve. Whatever you need, you have given everything for me. And what he's telling them after they say, yes, we will serve you, is here's how to do it. It's just, it's not this general idea, yeah, just serve me. Okay, but how? No, he's laying out for them literally what he wants them to do. Maybe some of you in here have um, a friend or a significant other that you're like, could you just tell me what you want? Like, I'm trying to figure it out, but I really just want you to tell me. God's not being unclear here. This is exactly what I want. This is who I want you to be, and this is how I want you to serve me. How would these words have sounded to a people who had only known slavery? They would have sounded like freedom. They would have sounded like a blessing. Someone who doesn't demand first and then give later, 
but someone who has given first and now demands and asks. Here's the expectation. Verse 5. Here's how I want you to serve me. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You may be thinking, I'm no priest. I don't know what you're talking about. We're going to talk about that here in a second. What is he talking about kingdom of priests? These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. God asked them here in five and six. Here's the expectation. Okay, pause. Does anyone see an issue so far? Anyone have an issue with this so far? You think they're going to be okay with this? No. They're going to fail like 30 seconds after he told them this. Right? What does he say? Obey my voice and keep my covenant. That's how he wants to be served. But they're not going to be able to do that. But we're going to see over and over again them fail to do that. They must keep his law perfectly to be God's treasured possession, to be the kingdom of priests, to be the holy nation. Yes, because these things that he's describing are holy. They're set apart. That's what holy means because they're God's. And in order to be those things, you have to be perfect. And that's where the issue lies for the Israelites. But here's the great news is that our God is a God of grace. He saves his people, provides for his people, and then teaches them how to live for his glory. And what we know is a larger extent of that grace is that he sends the perfecting work of Jesus for us. That again, what we find in Jesus is perfectly lived out here. So that you no longer work from a place of needing to gain something so that God would accept you or that God would call you his treasured possession. No, it doesn't work that way. God actually sent Jesus so that he would die for you, that he would live the perfect life, that he would do exactly what he was asking the Israelites to do. And then he would call you his treasured possession because of what Jesus has done. Perfect obedience was a requirement and it's the requirement for us. We know in Romans it says the wages of sin is death. It was nev- Israel was never able to fulfill these covenant conditions. This re- was the realization for them that they were looking forward to Jesus who would perfectly obey the covenant on their behalf. So real quick, I want to talk about shortly the covenant dynamic here and then talk about this precious people and special purpose that it talks about here in verse 6. This was the typical way a covenant would work in this text we see. The covenant maker would declare himself and his intent, and then he would tell the other party who they were. We see here that God states what kind of God he is and then tells his people what kind of people they're supposed to be. Precious people with a special purpose. Precious people with a special purpose. This word is for us here in this room tonight. 
We are precious people with a special purpose. If you in here are a follower of Jesus, that you have put your faith in what Jesus has done for you, you are a precious people and a set apart for a special purpose. Let's read verse 6 in chapter 19. Verse 6 in chapter 19 says, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Sorry, I started too early. Verse 5 is actually also part of this. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. How unique and special is the love that he has lavished on you and me. Here's just what is true. If you sit in this room and you know Jesus and you know that he has specifically put his love on you, that is not true for everyone that walks this planet. It's not. God has chosen you like he chose the Israelites. You are special if you know Jesus. God has chosen you that he has specifically put his love towards you. That he has pointed his affection towards you specifically and has called you out to be part of his people. The Israelites were chosen out of all the people of the earth to be God's treasured possession. Some of us are probably thinking like, really, the Israelites? Out of all the great peoples of the earth, you chose the Israelites? I think that's an example of what I feel a lot. Really? Out of everyone that walks this earth, you chose me? Yeah, he did. And he might have chose you too. He has put his love to us. We have done nothing to deserve this. It is truly the pauper to prince story that we have been given. And then in verse 6, it says that we have been given a special purpose. So this kingdom of priests and holy nation, let's talk about this for a second. Priest, does anyone know what a priest was? Anyone know? Yeah? Okay, people that offered sacrifices? Yeah? Leaders of Egypt? No, I think that taught religion to others? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Priests literally were the called out ones. The priests were the called out ones. They were the ones that were called out by God and given a specific task. They were to offer sacrifices. They were to call before the Lord. They were the ones that were called out to go into the Holy of Holies that we'll talk about later. They were called out. They were called out for that purpose. That They were called to serve and worship God. That was their whole life. They didn't farm. They weren't shepherds. They were just called to serve and worship God. They were the called out ones. And you remember... Uh, The covenant that we talked about in Genesis all the way back with Abraham. Do you know what the promise was to Abraham? That you will be a blessing to the nations. This is the coolest part about how God has orchestrated all of this. 
that you are part of the blessing to the nations. Because what he's saying is we are the called out ones who are calling people into the presence of God to know who he is and what he has done. You're called out. You're not a part of a group. You're not not lost in a crowd. God has specifically looked at you and said, I want you in my family. And he has set his love on you so that you would be a blessing to the nations. And that's what the priests were to do. Israel was to be the holy nation. So the other part of this, which preserved the biblical faith until the Savior came. Israel was the people that took who God was and kept it sacred. They preserved it until Jesus came and then everything exploded. And it was no longer just the Israelites. It was everyone who was God's people. It was us. What about now? We get the same priestly task today that Israel got then. Listen to 1 Peter. I just want you to flip to 1 Peter 2. We're going to end here. First Peter two and then verse nine is where we're going to start. So Peter was written, the book of Peter was written after Jesus. Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. Starting in verse nine, it says, "But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession." That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Why are we sojourners and exiles? Because This is not our people. We are God's people. We have a citizenship somewhere else, not here. To abstain from the passions of the flesh, which war against your soul, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Why did God save you for his glory? So that his glory would go forth into the world. And here's the issue with never talking about what Christ has done for you. We miss why God has rescued you. God has rescued you for his glory, not for just your safety. You are rescued for his glory, which means what? I need to be one of the people who is called out so that others may come in as part of God's people. Because the more people that know about Jesus, the more people that know that there is a God that loves them, that has sent his son to pay for their sin and to free them from it. That God is here for you. 
so that your glory can go forth. That's why he has saved you and me. So that we could be his people called and claimed by love and sacrifice for a special purpose. If you have put your faith in what Jesus has done for you and acknowledged your sin, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's possession. That means this, you are no longer first known as an A student. You're no longer first known as the starting third baseman on your baseball team. You're no longer first known as the pictures you post or the videos that you take. You're no longer first known by your anxiety or by your depression. You're no longer first known as someone who will never be wanted. And you're no longer first known as someone that will never be noticed. God has called you out if you are his. You are no longer those things first. You are God's. You are a child of the king. We need to start living like that's true. First. Not belittling the other things that I mentioned because those things are real. And we struggle with those things. But there's a reason why I said these, this is what we are known by first. Is that we are the called out ones. The treasured possession of God. Any of you have treasured possessions? Things that you couldn't fathom being torn away from you. That's how God looks at you and thinks of you if you're his. He doesn't ever want to lose you. In fact, he sent his only son for you. He treasures you that much. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. God has set his everlasting love and affection on you, not because you deserve it, but because of what he has said and done in Jesus. Now, we have a special purpose. We have the amazing call to bring those in slavery into royalty. Our mission is to serve the world around us for the glory of God who has saved us. Anyone in here feeling purposeless? Maybe you woke up this morning or yesterday morning or for the last couple weeks. And it's just hard to get out of bed. I'm feeling like there's a lot of purpose in life. Every now and then I feel purpose in my school or maybe in a friend's getting together. God has given you a special purpose every day. Every day you have been given a special purpose. And it's right here in 1 Peter. He says this, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness. That you would keep your conduct 
honorable so that others may know God. You know the God that you hold dearly, the Jesus that you know and love. Let's not be selfish and share him with no one. If we really know the God that this scripture is talking about, we would want to tell people about him. Because he has taken us from the pauper, from the streets, to the castle. Because of what he has said and done. And getting to tell people out there about that as well. And remember the order of Exodus here again. God delivers, provides, protects. And then he says, serve me. God delivers, provides, and protects. And then says, serve me. We don't work. We don't serve from a place of wanting to be or trying to be accepted by God. Or even, honestly, out of a place of obligation. Tim Keller has a great quote. He said, if I'm saved by works, then there is a limit to what God could ask of me. But if I'm in fact saved by grace, there's no limit of what he can ask of me. Let's serve him, not so that we will save or accept us, so that he will save or accept us. Let's serve our amazing God with all of our lives. He's called us and he's given us purpose. 